Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Homecoming, a podcast that provides the space for Asians and Asian Americans of all backgrounds to share their diverse stories, experiences, and insights about a variety of different topics. I'm your host, Angel Rena, and today on the podcast, I've got with me Elisha Siddiqui and Kieran Masroor, the president and vice president, respectively, of the organization Yaleys for Pakistan, which is an organization at Yale dedicated to bringing Pakistan to campus through cultural celebration, social justice and advocacy, and various educational initiatives. And in this episode, Elisha and Kieran are going to be talking about what it was like growing up Pakistani-American, the really exciting events Yaleys for Pakistan has coming up, and also how they're planning on running the organization remotely, given that we're in this COVID-19 era. So, Elisha and Kieran, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you both doing? I know classes have started recently, so things are a bit hectic, but how are you guys feeling overall? Yeah, thank you so much for having us. Um, I can't speak for Karen, but classes have been a little overwhelming, to say the least. Um, nonetheless, enjoying them quite a bit. Thank you for that inter- introduction. Um, my pronouns are she, her, hers. I'm from Oklahoma. I am at Yale. I'm a rising sophomore. Um, and like you mentioned, my family is also from Pakistan. And um, yeah, I'm studying political science pre-med, but school has been a very interesting thing to navigate so far. But enjoying it somewhat. Yeah, just a second, Alicia. Thank you for the introduction. I'm Kieran. I'm also a rising sophomore at Yale. I'm majoring in neuroscience under the Puma track. Also, my pronouns are she, her, hers. I was born and raised in Miami, but my, my parents are from Pakistan. Um, and I also agree with that online school has been almost just as rigorous as in-person school, which has been kind of unexpected because I was hoping just it'd be a bit more easy to slack off and stuff. But I'm I'm adjusting. I'm trying to make the best of it. I am learning a lot, so I'm I'm undecided as to whether I like it or not. Fundamentally, mm, yeah, yeah. I feel like a lot of people are just have very mixed feelings about what's happening right now. But there's not much we could do about it. Um, yeah, but I'm really excited to have you both on. I think we're gonna have a really great conversation, and I'm really looking forward to hearing more about your organization. So I think what would be super helpful first is to provide some context uh, for the rest of the episode um, for you guys to sort of share what it was like growing up uh, Pakistani American in your respective hometowns, wherever you grew up. Um, Yeah, like was there a strong community of Pakistanis and Pakistani Americans where you guys lived and went to school? Um, And just like overall, feel free to share um, sort of the journey of navigating your racial slash ethnic identity pre-Yale. Yeah, so for me, pre-Yale, I went to a high school which did not really have any brown kids whatsoever, and especially any Pakistani kids. I think I knew only two to three people in the entire school that were Pakistani. And for a long time, I didn't even think that that, that impacted the way I expressed myself culturally. I just thought that it was okay, and I thought I was navigating it fine. But now that I'm at Yale and I have made more, more Pakistani friends, I can look back on my experiences in high school and realize that I was somewhat whitewashing myself to fit in. I had predominantly white friends, which is amazing. I, they were fulfilling amazing friendships. But at the same time, I almost was like hiding like this, like this part of me. I would be embarrassed to talk about my upbringing or like my, my parents, like their values or where they came from, just because it didn't really like suit like the prevailing social culture at my high school. So I, I really like kind of repressed a lot of parts of myself that I'm way more open about now. And I didn't even realize until I came to Yale. 
So I feel really grateful that I've got to have a more like, diverse friend group and be more honest about things. Like things even as small as talking about like the values are like that are important in your culture. Like a lot of brown kids will probably tell you that they did have like like parents, especially immigrant parents, and they felt this really like strong and like important need to prove themselves to their parents and to really like make sure that their that their immigration was worth it. So I've internalized a lot of that like work ethic and it's like a very unique thing for I'd say like immigrant kids like in particular because you feel like this like simultaneous pressure to like make your parents proud but also this like deep and like really real fervor and like pride that your parents have worked so hard for you so like that sort of like fundamental value like never talked about it or even like really considered it in high school because people like would make fun of how strict my parents were or like all the rules are put on me like not being allowed to go out like too late or they go out like on like like, on like multiple weekends etc so I almost felt shame that there was such a huge work ethic in my house because it was just like not like so, like socially normal. So anyways, for all those reasons described, I really didn't even consider being proud of like my culture or like the values of like my, my family like for a very long time until, yeah, so. Yeah, so I definitely had a bit of a different experience. Um, as I mentioned, I'm from Oklahoma. So there was about 800 people in my graduating class and I could probably name the people of color on my 10 fingers. However, there ironically is quite a large Pakistani community in Oklahoma. There wasn't at my school, but otherwise there was a really big community. And um, this meant a lot to me because I was able to express my culture with my friends and that's something that it's a it's a value that I really really appreciate I look back on um, and it's something that I continue to value my parents were also um, extremely adamant I guess to share their culture with us in some ways we would travel to Pakistan quite a bit when I was younger Um, it was a I felt very Pakistani Um, I would go to Pakistani parties and I I just remember my grandmother coming and visiting and opening suitcases full of Pakistani clothes for me to wear in Oklahoma. So it was ironically, I felt a a strong sense of community. And even now, um, my best friends, like my, my, my friend group, my best friends are all Pakistani, um, Pakistani to the point that even in Pakistan, they are all from the same city my parents are from. They live probably in the neighboring districts that my parents do. Um, so I've grown up with like a very strong sense of this culture. Um, right now in my house, there's a huge Pakistani flag that's framed at the entrance. It's the first thing you see. And it's something that I I really value. I think like Karen said, though, um, there was a sense of, uh, there was a bit of difference going to school because there were not many Pakistanis. And um, a lot of kids do struggle with it. And I'm not going to lie, I struggled with accepting my culture. To what extent do I accept my culture? And it's something that I think it's a, it's an idea that a lot of immigrants immigrant children really struggle with. And for me, it was one of those things that I had come to the point where I couldn't really hide being Pakistani. I would come to school and I looked brown. Um, I would speak on Urdu on the phone to my parents. So it was something that I tried to embrace as much as I could. Um, And it's something that, like I said, I'm really thankful for. Thank you guys so much for sharing that. Yeah, that's uh, to Elisha's point, like in your experience, it's so interesting that there's such a big Pakistani community in Oklahoma. Like, that seems so random to me, but I guess, like, people are where they are, right? Um, 
And like also thinking about sort of that transition to going to Yale and being in this completely new environment, this new place. Um, was there anything that you both wanted to bring or add to the Pakistani community at Yale? Um, I'm not too sure about how large the community is at Yale, so definitely feel free to share that as well. Um, and yeah, like, do you feel like you viewed your ethnic identity any differently after you went to Yale? Um, Kieran, you talked a little bit about this, but yeah, feel free to go more in depth. Yeah, so I think one thing um, about the Pakistani community at Yale, and this is just a general characteristics of Pakistanis, is um, community is a really big value. So I know in, in some organizations, you only look at, say, the undergraduate population. When we count the Pakistanis, we count the undergrads, the grads, the community in New Haven, because they are ones that have been supporting us um, throughout our revamping of WIPOC. There are people that have been involved, um, that have reached out. So I would say in that sense, there's there's quite a few. I don't know an exact number off of the top of my, my head. I would say maybe an upwards of even 100 people um, who identify as Pakistani are on campus. But uh, yeah, so I think Karen and I both came from very two ends of the spectrum, I would almost say. And coming to Yale, um, I personally felt like there was a very big lack of Pakistani community. Um, even though there were Pakistanis, I, I really missed that sense of culture that I was so enveloped by when I would come home. Um, when I was at home, for instance, we would have like carom tournaments or cricket tournaments <laughs> over the weekends. And that was something that I would bring up with um, people on campus and they would say that there was nothing like that for Pakistanis at Yale. I think another thing that I, I began to realize was the large diversity of the Pakistani community. So like I mentioned earlier, um, most of my close friends are Pakistani from Lahore, from almost the same exact towns in Lahore as my parents were. And I came to Pakistan and there were a lot of people that had very different ideas of what it meant to be Pakistani. I think everybody comes to terms with their culture in a different way. And that became a lot more apparent in a place like Yale, where people are coming to terms with so many other things in so many different ways. We all have so many different backgrounds. And although being Pakistani was one thing that united us, there's a lot of different characteristics and identities that go behind that. So um, that was something very different for me, but I did feel a lack of the community. It was something that I really missed. Um, I'm really involved with the Muslim community and I'm really thankful for that. But I would, I would go back home and I would tell my mom that I feel like I'm, I feel like there's a part of me that's almost missing. I've gotten it. I've gotten the Muslim part covered. Um, there's a great community here, but I don't feel Pakistani. I feel like I only get that when I come home, so. Yeah, and I think even for me, like personally, what I had also like wanted to see at Yale was like that sort of like collective group and like that sort of community also because there's kind of like, like at least for me personally, I almost envision like, like a spectrum of how Pakistani someone is and I've always considered myself not Pakistani enough because I can't speak Urdu. I love like a lot of like the cultural things. I just don't even know about like, like the nuances and what distinguishes Pakistani culture from Indian culture. Like for so long, I kind of viewed them as like collectively like along like the same thing, but like the same thing fundamentally, which is obviously completely wrong. But I've just never been exposed to Pakistani culture enough in my upbringing, and so that's what I was hoping to find at Yale. And I'm really grateful. Um, Elisha is actually the one that reached out to me and like suggested that like that her and I work on YPAC together and make it bigger, make it like better. And so I'm really grateful that we've gotten a chance to try to make that sort of community for ourselves and for other people. 
Yeah, that's amazing. And like before we move on to sort of talking about <clears throat> Yellies for Pakistan, um, I know last time when we were talking in our pre-recording meeting, um, you guys were talking about how you were like trying to be more involved in like the wider South Asian community or organizations and you also didn't feel too at home because they were very predominantly Indian. So do you guys also want to talk about that experience? Yeah, for sure. So it's just like a reality that a lot of South Asian spaces are just dominated by um, Indian people rather than Pakistani people. So I was in SAS for like a year and whenever I'd go there, I didn't really meet any Pakistani people at all. So I've always associated it in my mind as, a, as an Indian organization. So that's like been my experience. Um, once again, like I never like learned the nuances of Pakistani culture. So I almost thought that I was finding that sort of like community through that space. But now I realize it was Indian centric and I, now I'm like more aware of the fact that I want to pursue more Pakistani oriented spaces. Yeah, and I would definitely say that um, it's, it's one of those things like Karen mentioned, there's, there's small differences between being Indian and being Pakistani. And it's something that it manifests, I guess, when you, for instance, you're looking at speakers to bring to an event. Um, if we are looking at speakers from YBOC, we obviously want a lot more Pakistani speakers. And the reality is um, in a lot of South Asian spaces on campus, there's not many. Um, and so I think it's, it's really necessary to create your own space. But with that being said, we've been really fortunate to collaborate with SAS um, quite a bit this upcoming year, and they've been really helpful with our relaunch. Um, we're looking forward to collaborating with them in the future as well. I think it's just, there's an important to recognize that there is a difference um, and to create spaces where needed so that hopefully we can foster community, um, foster like conversations about what it means to be Pakistani, what it means to be South Asian, how those two differ in the future. There's one thing I want to add. I hope it's not too off topic and we can just like see if it fits or not. I do want to add that I can't, I can't like um, attribute causality to anything or pretend like I can explain anything. But what I have noticed a lot in SAS is I have like four Pakistani friends who have been involved in SAS, all women, and they've all had negative experiences with Indian men within, that, within like the SAS space. And when I had my, my first negative experience with like an Indian like boy in that community, I was talking with my mom about it and she brought up the fact that maybe it was due to like my Pakistani background and I was like, what? No way. That's, that's you know, total coincidence. It's fine. But I've had like, you know, a lot of time to reflect on my experiences and I've talked to other Pakistani women um, in particular. And I have noticed like there are at least four Pakistani girls that I've talked to who have experienced like they felt uncomfortable in Indian dominated spaces. And I'm obviously not attributing causality, but I will say that just that underscores the importance of having your own, your own space and, you know, creating your own like cultural like community to, to talk about these things and try to identify if you are being, you know, targeted or if you are being mistreated. Because if we don't have that space for like for women to come together, especially Pakistani women to come together and talk about this, you can never really put two and two together and find out like the best way to protect your dignity and to approach those Indian like centered spaces. Which is not to say that SAS is like you know primarily like composed of those types of people, but it's a really important like narrative for me to bring up when we're talking about this. Absolutely, like it's it's it is really important to you know have your own space. But I'm I'm glad that you guys are also you know, trying to collaborate with SAS and, and, and having those conversations, right? Like that's super important. Um, yeah, so to move on to talking about Yalies for Pakistan and the organization itself, um, can you both tell me a little bit more about the history of this organization? Because I know it was, it was like a club, 
some time ago um, and why did you both want to revamp it um, and also what kind of work did you do over the summer to uh, sort of re revive revive this organization yeah so i think going into yellies for pakistan we can yellies for pakistan has actually been around campus for quite some time i would say in maybe the early 2000s it was quite popular um the thing about yellies for pakistan though is YPAC has had its good years and its bad years. So it's had some years where it's really successful, um, some years where they've been quite inactive. And Karen and I came at a time where it was quite inactive and we really felt a lack of Pakistani culture. I think one thing that a lot of Prefresh do and I definitely did was um, stalking all of the Instagram accounts of organizations you wanted to join. And I found them for so many of my other identities, but I didn't find any online presence for YPAC for being Pakistani. And it was really disappointing because this was such an essential part growing up of my life. Um, it was something that, that I looked forward to and it just did not exist to the extent I had wanted it to. I think this year YPAC um, did one biryani dinner and that was pretty much it for the rest of the year. Granted, things happened like COVID, but um, it was something that I really, I really felt the lack of such a space and I, I had really wanted it. I would go home for breaks and I would, I would always eat a ton of Pakistani food and try to like stock up on culture to bring back to Yale with me because I missed it so much. So I think one thing that Karen and I really felt and we both, we both were kind of having this experience where we were like, man, like we want, Pakistanis to be a stronger group at Yale. We want to mobilize because I think right now, especially in today's time, there's so many conversations about what it means to be Pakistani, Pakistani American, how we function as immigrant immigrant children in this country, um, and for some, how they function as international students in this country. And there's so many conversations that really mandated the mobilization of a Pakistani community. So. I was supposed to go to Pakistan this summer and I was really excited to get my my culture through there and just kind of like I said stock up um, and COVID happened so I couldn't travel and I realized that if I couldn't go to Pakistan there was this is going to sound so cheesy I had to bring some sort of Pakistan to me and at that time I had a few friends texting me and they were like um, what's happening with YBOC? Like this group chat has been dead <laughs> since the last biryani dinner. <laughs> like what's going on? And so um, after I guess speaking with a few people, just really thinking about my plans for the upcoming year, I realized that it was something that I, I wanted to dedicate time to. I wanted to put effort into because it was worth it and there was potential. Um, so I, I applied for president and then I texted Karen and the rest is, I mean, Karen, you can add on to the rest. That's our story. And the rest is history. What can I say? Um, yeah, I, I agree with you on that, Elisha. Like, I also felt like it was not only inactive, it was hard to get in touch with people in YPAC, just like in general, not just like, like board, but like members. So it was just like hard to facilitate communication with people that you wanted to talk to and, you know, just like get to know better. So I'm actually kind of grateful in a way that all this has happened because in a way, it's been kind of like a really unique experience of Elisha and I having to like, to like make it from scratch because we've had so much more, like so much more creativity in the process of like making this club. Like we've literally come up with like ideas for fundraisers and events that I don't think we that I don't think that we would have been able to do so if we were just members and if it was like a larger, like like a larger group. So in a in a weird way, like in like a silver lining sort of way, I'm grateful for what's happened. 
Um, that might even be like a good segue into talking about events that we're doing. I was just going to add on to that and say um, it's been really cool to start from almost ground up. And the reason I say that is we have had the opportunity to um, really explore what it means to starting an organization at Yale without the starting logistics. And so recruiting people, um, I think a lot of people are really excited about YPOC. I've had a lot of positive engagement um, with people that I've reached out to in terms of joining. We kind of were really lucky for our board. I'd say we've all gotten very close um, in the in the few few weeks that YPOC has existed. We always have our meetings um, and they end up in some sort of, I guess, conversation or debate. And it's something that these are people that I've come to really respect and value at Yale. And I think other than that, we're really excited for what all the potential YPOC has. Um, I think we just needed some people to kind of kickstart it. And I'm glad that, I'm really glad that we found the people we did. Yeah, I know your entire board has just worked so hard over the summer. Like, you guys have grinded so hard, I feel like, to create all these super amazing events. Um, yeah, and great segue. So can you guys just tell me about all of the events that you've worked on slash have been planning for this semester and this year? Um, yeah, you can talk about the fundraisers and, like, the concerts, like, anything. Yeah, so Elisha and I came up with like a three-part fundraiser as our main event uh, for, like, for the first half of fall semester. So it's like a three-part thing. The first thing involved an art fundraiser where we contacted a lot of Pakistani artists, typically through Instagram and Twitter, and we asked them if they'd be willing to donate any art to us. And then we created a website where we put all the donated art um, on there. And then we just reached out to a lot of people and asked if they're like, willing to purchase any art. And 100% of the proceeds are going to Pakistani organizations that directly benefit um, workers affected by COVID-19. So that's been like a really good experience because not only have we been able to like connect with a lot of Pakistani artists, which I would never have found on Instagram and it's like really appreciated, but we're also just like allowing people to support charity, but also to enjoy Pakistani art and have it in their home. So we're still in the process of doing all that. It's like an ongoing fundraiser. So it's, it's, it's continually growing and we're continually like, you know, sending it to more people. Then the second part, um, which was, um, I think it was first spearheaded by Elisha, this was her idea, it was to have like a virtual concert. So we're planning a virtual concert with three really prominent Pakistani singers. Um, that's happening on September 20th through Zoom. And tickets cost from, they range from $7.50 per ticket to $10. And once again, 100% of the proceeds are going to these Pakistani organizations. Um, Elisha, you can speak more about it. Yeah, I can definitely add on to that. I think um, before I do talk about like some of the events we've been planning, I will say that um, we've really kept in mind our goals of culture, community, and advocacy. Those have been our three main ideas that we've been looking to. So anytime we've been kind of doing events, um, we've been looking to see where that plays in to these three ideas and concepts we have visualized for YBOC. I would say um, we've also been really fortunate to kind of mobilize and um, get to speak with a lot of, like Karen said, when you're in the leadership of a board, you really have to be aware of what you're advocating for. Um, for us, that's Pakistan. So it almost forced us to be more up to date on all things Pakistan. So Karen said, we've been able to reach out to a lot of different Pakistani artists. Um, through YPOC, we've also been able to reach out to a lot of different Pakistani student associations across the country. We've also been reaching out to prominent Pakistani 
artists, like musicians, um, professors at Yale and otherwise. So it's been a really good experience, I guess, engaging with others and learning more about, I've learned a lot about my identity through the process. So I think initially um, I can just backtrack quite a bit. In the beginning of forming WIPOC, we were really focused on establishing some sort of presence because we didn't have that earlier. And for all the pre-fresh um, that wanted to see us on Instagram or Facebook, there wasn't. And so we really worked really hard on that. And um, you can check out our Instagram. It's something we're really proud of. And we've had actually quite a bit of people reach out to us via Instagram to collaborate. Um, so the first event we kind of did was we worked on a transformative justice experience, um, uh, kind of like a, a viewing of some sort of like video regarding civil rights and advocacy and then a debrief with SAS. And so that was something we did in the in the beginning just to show solidarity with all that was happening with the Black Lives Matter movement. And then after that, we really kind of moved into this fundraising event, which Karen said it's it's been in the works for quite some time and we're really excited to have it going on the ground. Um, like she mentioned, we had this art fundraiser, which has been going really well. Karen totally reached out to so many different artists. She would like text me the morning after and she'd be like, I just texted like 100 Pakistani artists after stalking them on Twitter. And I'd be like, whoa, that's, that's really, really good. Um, so for our concert performance, we have three singers. Um, they are Ali Seti, Jimmy Khan, and Zeb Bangish. And so Zeb has performed at Yale before. And we're really fortunate to have these people because um, these are really, really big singers. They have quite a bit of following. And so for an organization like WIPOC, it means a lot that they're collaborating with us. Um, we also, like I said, we've been working with other PSAs, um, Pakistani Student Associations. So we've actually been planning this event in collaboration with Harvard, Brown, um, and this Pakistani US coalition of students. So we've been really fortunate, um, really excited. September 20th, 12.30 p.m. Eastern, <laughs> go buy a ticket. We'll find a way to um, share the link virtually, but we're really excited for that event. I think looking forward, um, Another thing we've been planning, I guess for, like I mentioned, we, we kind of hit the ground running. And so there's, we've been really fortunate to have a lot of people reach out to us and ask for collaborative events. So we're booked for the entirety of the semester, which is really exciting. Um, in November, we're working with the American Pakistani Foundation, which is a nonprofit um, for Pakistani Americans. And we're specifically voting, uh, voting, we're specifically working on voting. And so a lot of Pakistani Americans don't vote. It's something that's been a little problematic. And given the cruciality of these elections, we'll be working on ways to engage the Pakistani diaspora um, at Yale and otherwise to vote. Um, in October, we are planning an event in collaboration with Harvard um, and Lost Voices of South Asia, which is also a group regarding conversations with the Pakistani diaspora. So um, way we, ways we've found a space on college campuses for being Pakistani, um, how it's like to be in leadership of Pakistani organizations. And then in December, we are planning to bring in a speaker. So we're really excited. Um, hopefully we'll have in a few, a few events in between for like some virtual Zoom chai or something like that. I haven't talked to Karen about this, but I'm down for a chai night or something over Zoom. Um, but yeah, we're, we're really excited to have a lot of programming coming up and um, whoever's listening to this, you're always welcome to join. <laughs> wow, that's incredible. Like, I, yeah, I know how hard you guys have worked and honestly, like, 
these are such like major large scale events that take just so much time and effort so like huge congratulations and like you guys are seriously doing some amazing work and we'll definitely um i'll definitely put the link to like register and get a ticket for for the concert um for you know for all the listeners out there compared to the date that this is releasing that is the concert will be tomorrow um so definitely you know get your ticket and register for that um I realized I didn't really go too much in detail into like the different organizations and like the specific like artists that you guys are supporting. Um, do you want to talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, for sure. So um, I can talk a little bit about the organizations that we are choosing to support. So I think one thing that throughout this process has been really important for us to recognize is that um, Pakistan, although we are really fortunate to um, experience the Pakistanis in America and live a completely different lifestyle. There's a lot of Pakistanis that are struggling in Pakistan. There's a lot of groups that it's important for us to stand in solidarity with, to recognize what is going on um, for many different marginalized groups. And so throughout this process, we've really tried to be cognizant um, that the Pakistani experience is not universal, especially um, speaking from our perspective as um, Pakistanis living in America. Um, we can't really attest to all that is going on in Pakistan. And so we've really tried to educate ourselves about the extent to which certain impact, certain groups face certain struggles. And so we, we have a board member who's actually from Pakistan, she's an international student, shout out Iman. Um, she has been really, um, really, really, I guess, informative about these different groups in Pakistan and ways that we can support them. When COVID started, I guess one thing that's really important to recognize is COVID does not impact everybody the same. If I were to get COVID living in a house with fully functioning, I guess, electricity and other things, my experience would not be the same as someone who's living in a rural village in Pakistan that has to walk to school and that completely lives a different life than I do. And it's really important to recognize that, I think. Um, and it's also important to recognize that COVID is going to hurt the marginalized groups the most. Um, vulnerable groups are going to be more vulnerable. And so that's something that we tried to keep in mind was that in Pakistan, there's a lot of vulnerable vulnerable groups. And so we had to find ways to support them. And so when we thought of this COVID fundraiser, it was something that came about as a result of that. So we have been, um, Iman has really helped guide us towards organizations in Pakistan we can support. Another thing is Pakistan has been flooding recently. There's been a lot of floods, specifically in Karachi and other um, areas in that region in Balochistan. And so we kind of realized that we had to do something about it. And so our COVID fundraiser, um, some one of the organizations we're actually raising money for, some of their funds are allocated towards flood relief as well. So we're hoping to kind of help in that way um, because this is this event had been in the works for so long. Um, we had advertised it and then this new, I guess, um, the floods came up in Pakistan. So we, we've kind of tried to support that um, relief as much as possible. We are choosing to support three organizations. They are called Karachi Bajau Tehrik, which as I kind of mentioned earlier, they work primarily in Balochistan and Karachi. They're the ones also working on flood relief. Um, They're specifically helping workers in Pakistan and providing PPE, um, specific, I guess, COVID-related resources to people in Balochistan and in Karachi. 
the second organization we are supporting is the Women's Democratic Front. Um, these are, this is a group, it's pretty, the name comes off, um, the name says, says it all. It's a, it's a group that's specifically supporting relief for women in Pakistan, um, COVID relief. And then the last group is Press for Peace. Press for Peace is working in um, the northern areas of Pakistan, which have also been really impacted. Um, if you if you get the chance after this, please Google northern areas of Pakistan because they are one of the prettiest, most beautiful places in the world. And during COVID, a lot of people thought it would be good to vacation there, um, not taking into account the populations and the native groups that live there. And um, obviously bringing COVID to an area that is so remote and does not have any resources has a lot of negative implications. And so we are supporting that organization um, for that reason. And Karen, if you wanna talk more about, I guess, what we're doing. Um, I will say like what, what I tried to focus on when I was looking for artists to reach out to is I, I was trying to find like smaller Instagram accounts of Pakistani artists. So I was just really, really trying to expose myself to a lot of, you know, who I'd like, never heard of. So I could give like a few, like a few some shout outs, I guess. Like I was able to talk to um, someone named Manal Mirza. She runs like a print shop. So it's like, it's primarily on Instagram and it's on like, it's on, she has her own page. Um, a lot of Pakistani artists I'm, I'm noticing now are trying to tr like transition into like having like a more like online presence because like in this sense, like they're trying to make their own websites and have like their own space to be able to like sell their stuff because there's like really no chance of having like gallery showings anymore. So having like online selling is like really important to them now. So I, I'm actually really hopeful that our fundraiser is able to help them even in a small way, gain some, you know, gain some traction with their art and also gain some more like, like some noticeability. So there are a lot of Pakistani artists, a lot of them were, are raised and they, they currently live in Pakistan, but some of them are also like living in Dubai there are a few that are living in the U.S. as well. Um, I think there's also one in Canada. So we're really like we're we're really able to get like a whole array of people across the world to like, contribute to this cause, which is really kind of amazing. Because like now, when I look at the website that has all these art pieces on it, you can really just like appreciate the fact that this is like art that's coming from all over the world by Pakistani like artists, and it's just like a really great thing that I've been able to work on. Yeah, so I also want to talk about what it's like running a student organization in the COVID era, in the COVID era, um, because from from the events you guys talked about, a lot of them are remote, virtual. So do you anticipate any challenges with working remotely? And also, like, in what ways do you feel like it maybe will give you more opportunities for programming and for student outreach and just for connecting with like new members potentially personally i've really enjoyed having this virtual experience of like of like doing this club from scratch because we've gotten to well we've pushed ourselves to collaborate with other um, pakistani organizations in different colleges and that's made some really really like valuable friendships and also just like you know like, like networks for YPAC to like go through so like for example we've worked with like the harvard psa and we've just had like so much like so much fun like working with them and we've had like such great like outreach like through them so it's been really really awesome that we've gotten to do like intercollegiate sort of work um and then as for like being involved with our with our new members like virtually um i think that it's kind of forced us to really revamp our social media which i've enjoyed a lot because now we have like a really strong online presence that i don't think we would have had if this was all in person so i really think that even though it is online why still 
kind of comes across as being a place that you can reach out to on, on Instagram because we're really active on Instagram now. So I'm really proud of what our presence is like. Yeah, I think Karen, you covered quite a bit of it, but I would just add to that and say that I'm sure there are going to be some challenges um, because as I mentioned, uh, YPOC looks to community quite a bit and virtual community, although it's, it's, we've been able to man- maneuver ways um, to navigate around that, it's not the same. I, I'm not going to lie to you, it's not the same. Another big part, I kind of hinted at this earlier, but Pakistanis really like to eat, like a lot. Um, food is like a really big deal. And so our board had initially planned events um, before we had really realized the extent to which COVID was going to impact going back to school. We'd kind of planned events that would involve food, um, getting together and wearing Pakistani attire and just celebrating our community in large gatherings. And unfortunately, because of COVID, that's not a possibility anymore. And we're still navigating ways that we can find this community online. But like I said, we were really fortunate to have been able to collaborate with others, um, revamp our social media presence. And I hope that when this ends, we'll be able to hit the ground running part two, um, but this time in person at Yale. That's amazing. Yeah, I think from from what you guys have said so far, I think this is something that I've also kind of realized during this virtual era as well, is like sort of realizing the positive aspects of social media like before I, I feel like I saw social media so negatively but then but then when I think about it I'm like I'm able to reach out to literally anyone and just like get to know them like start a conversation be like hey do you want to be on the podcast so like that's pretty amazing and 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 um you know hearing from you guys too it seems like you've also been able to reach out to so many different people just from like all over the world really so that's incredible Yeah, I would definitely add to that and say that um, one thing that I personally really, really like doing is um, collaborating with other PSAs, other Pakistani student associations. But the ones that we've actually been reaching out to, um, other than the normal, I guess, Ivy League schools that Yale typically tends to collaborate with, we've also been speaking with a lot of um, a lot of schools across the East Coast and across the country. We've actually been we're doing this get out the vote campaign and a lot of schools are from Texas, um, which is really cool considering how I guess far that is from Yale. And it's it's something that really adds on to this idea that Pakistanis really value community and we we've been having these conversations with people about what it means to be Pakistani and everybody comes from different backgrounds when we established our social media I mean I can completely say that I wasn't sure how well it was going to do and I think one thing that we've noticed is we've received so much support from the Pakistani community not just at Yale but in the country and that's something that I was the same way I was like I don't really know if social media is the vibe <laughs> but um, it's been something that I, I've come to value a lot and these collaborations with Harvard um, in some way they might not have happened any other way so awesome yeah so we I think now we can move on before we like uh, go into plugging all of your events one last time and just getting the word out and advertising to all the listeners uh, listening right now. Um, I thought it would be fun to just play a round of two truths and a lie. Usually I play rapid fire questions with my guests, but that's usually in a smaller group. So I thought I thought this game would be a little more fun since we've got three people today. Um, yeah, so I think we can just go like one at a time and then 
each of us can sort of guess the lie. And Kieran and Elijah, you probably know each other better than like, I know you. So we'll see how this goes. Kieran, you got it. Okay. Um, so number one, Sean Mendes follows you on Twitter. Number two, Camila Cabello retweeted one of my tweets. Number three, I went viral on TikTok getting 6 million views. Wow. She, she really swims with the big fish in this, <laughs> if you can't tell. <laughs> wow, social media queen. Okay. You know, we were talking about how, like, social media is not the vibe-ish. And Karen was like, let me just <laughs> talk. Uh... Wow, I mean, really, like, all of these are super impressive. Um, I'll say Sean Mendes does not follow you on Twitter. False. He does. He does follow me on Twitter. What? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's all I'm going to say about it. Oh, yeah, and the lie was that Camila Camillo did not retweet one of my tweets. Wow. Kieran... Just, like, applause for you. <laughs> That's crazy. So basically, okay. when, when she tweets about WIPOC, Sean <laughs> Mendes <laughs> sees those tweets. Sean he's Mendes. basically a follower. Like, he's basically a member of WIPOC. No, we just add him to the groupie, and he, he's done. He's in. <laughs> That's crazy. That's amazing. Wow. Good for you. I, I'm so curious, but I, but I won't ask anymore. That's so impressive. Okay, I'll do mine. Um... First, I've worn glasses since I was in sixth grade. I like sushi, and I have classes every weekday, Monday through Friday. I think the lie is that you like sushi. I agree. I've seen your schedule. You sent it to me when we were trying <laughs> to plan this. <laughs> yes. Um, the, the, the lie is actually I've worn glasses since I was in sixth grade. I've worn glasses since I was in third grade, actually. Oh. Yeah. 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 Kind of cute. Like, I don't know. I feel, like, I feel like looking back on pictures, that must have been a little, a little yeah. cute. Yeah. I mean, I do have glasses every day. I, I, I forgot I sent you my schedule. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. Sushi is like, I, I, don't, I don't know how people don't like sushi. Right? Yeah. So good. Yeah. So good. Okay. I can go next. So my number one is... I fell off a camel once. Number two, um, I own a farm. Number three is I, um, I've been swimming since I was in middle school competitively. Am I allowed to guess or no? Yeah, you can guess. The lie is that you do not own a farm. What? I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> you, I was gonna say that as well. No, it's it's a lie. I don't own I don't own a farm. Yeah. <laughs> it's a it's a thing that when I came to when I came to Yale, everybody was like, "Oh, you live on a farm, right?" And sarcastically, I would say yes, but people would believe me, <laughs> and so then I was like, "You know, might as well." But um, because of Oklahoma, is that why people? Yeah. Yeah, it's the Oklahoma. <laughs> wow. Well, that's cool. <laughs> All right, so last thing before you guys go, um, do you want to plug your all of your events coming up one last time? And also, where can people reach out to you 
follow you, learn more about Yalies for Pakistan, join you guys, uh, reach out to you if you have if they have any questions. Um, yeah, feel free to plug all of those things in your social media as well. Yeah, so um, September 20th, 12.30 p.m. Eastern, 9.30 p.m. Pakistan time, we are going to be doing our Zoom fundraiser. Um, we'll definitely share the links with everybody so you can access registration. It's basically our biggest event that's coming up. Um, and you can just keep following with us on social media. Um, our social media is pretty active and we'll hopefully be posting things there on Facebook. Um, yeah, that's pretty much, that's the biggest event. I think we are really looking forward to our, our fundraisers ongoing. So um, we'll definitely drop the link for that as well. Yeah. Our Instagram is Yalies for Pakistan. We're really active there, so it's a great way to stay in the loop on what we're doing. Our email is yaliesforpak at gmail.com, and you can also find us on Facebook um, under Yalies for Pakistan. Yeah, and just to add to that, literally anybody is welcome at our events. Um, whether you think you are not as Pakistani or very Pakistani, um, no such spectrum exists. We're all united by our common culture. Um, and even if you're not Pakistani, we are super, super excited to have you um, and to learn more about Pakistan together. So you're always welcome to attend. Um, like, it, like Karen mentioned, you can email us, DM us if you have any, any thoughts, any suggestions. But um, yeah, and we can also, Karen, if you have the website um, for the art sales, we'll add that as well. Yeah, so our website for the art sales is www.wixsite.com-2020. So that second part is spelled W-I-X-S-I-T-E dot com slash 2020. Amazing. Thank you guys so much. I will put the link to the website, the link to register um, and get a ticket for the concert and a link, you know, your social media as well. And I'm really excited to like promote all your events in the future um, and, you know, just like keep supporting you all. So thank you so much, Elisha and Kieran, for coming out to the podcast. Of course. Thank you for having us again. Yeah, thank you so much for inviting us. It means a lot.